0: Welcome to UX Radio, the podcast that generates collaborative discussion about information architecture, user experience, and design. Here's your host, Lara Fedoroff. Hello, my name is Lara Fedoroff, and I'm your host for UX Radio. Today I'm speaking with Andrea Resmini. He is an information architect, UX practitioner, and scholar. He has an MA in architecture and industrial design, and a PhD in legal informatics and IT law. I love talking with Andrea because every time we talk, he challenges me to a deeper way of thinking. In this podcast, he talks about a different way of framing IA that reveals a new angle or a new spirit. He emphasizes that we can frame IA more as a design practice or maybe even a design activity and not just a form of librarianship. Let's begin by hearing a bit about his background. I would love to know where you grew up and uh, a
1: little bit about your education. So I'm originally Italian so I grew up in Parma which is a city in the north of Italy and famous for a couple of things like parmesan cheese and parma ham Mm -hmm. and bankruptcy because we had Parmalat was one of our companies over there and it went totally bankrupt a few years ago. I was trained as an architect and uh, this is where I come from and I think that Pretty much marks my way of seeing things and and looking at at what we do. The lens is is that of architecture and design in general, but especially the, the lens of architecture and the idea that we are dealing with places, even though we build them with information. So our materials are not bricks and woods or you know glass, but we use information, data, and sort of things. And Through my education at the university, I studied in Milan with a few big names of the time. Milan was pretty much the faculty of architecture yet to go in Italy at the time, and I started being interested in computers, and this is around 89, uh, 90, more or less, and since I was probably the only person who sort of understood computers at the time in the departments, uh, I started to be the guy caring for the server that we had and trying to, you know, build systems to allow students to send in the materials using the internet and the sort of things. And that led to becoming more and more interested in the technological part at the time. So I started to work as an information architect, even if I didn't really know. I started to work like that and then I applied the term to me like a couple of years afterwards when I started seeing the polar bear book and those things coming from the US. And then I moved on to getting a PhD in informatics, connected to that, on IEA for digital libraries. The story is complicated because in between I worked as a practitioner Had my company. We had a few big clients and then when everything went down over here with the dot-com crash thing, Italy followed suit in a couple of years. So everything slowed down and I decided it was time to get back to academia and now I'm a professor. I live in Sweden so the whole family moved to a different country and I teach at Schöping International Business School, which is a business school where we are trying to sort of bridge media informatics and design in new and interesting ways and it's interesting.
0: So how did you choose to make that your destination?
1: Well, chance. I mean, that's our thing. Everything happens because there's, there's you know, the occasion passes by, you know, just grab a bit. It, it was a family thing because my wife had an opportunity to pursue things she was studying into. And we simply decided to move because we honestly couldn't take more of it. We, we, we got tired of just waiting and the things that didn't work. And it's just us. I mean, we were probably at the right moment in our lives where we needed to change skies and see new different things. We love where we are, and I think that it's a nice life.
0: And so what's the most rewarding thing about working there
1: now? Well, apart from the fact that we do have a job, which is kind of you know, the point of being there, that's the interesting part. But for me, I would say that one of the most rewarding things is the teaching and research that we do is connected to an international environment where half of my students are coming from all parts of the world. So we have students coming from China, Pakistan, Iran, Africa, the U.S. We got some, North America in general, and different parts of Europe. So it's challenging, but it's also extremely stimulating. And for me, it's made even better because I'm, in, I'm not inside a faculty of design, So I, and I don't work in a um, new media department or something. I'm inside a traditional business school, if traditional can be applied so we are trying ways to actually talk to the, the people who don't know and need to know about the stuff that we do. So that's probably, I would say, the, the most interesting part.
0: That must be wonderful, I think, to work with the different cultures. I know that at one of the other talks where they were talking about diversified teams, we understand the way that we do the work but not necessarily how other cultures do it.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's extremely interesting and extremely challenging because there are all things coming in and they go from the largest possible sphere that surrounds an individual to the tiniest details or how did they relate to others. In my courses, so students normally go through a path which is, of course, theoretical and kind of frames the problem, but we work on projects. So they always have exercises and things, and they always work in groups. Because that's what I want them to do most of the jobs they will find make them being team players so they need to understand this and so many of them have initial issues with that just because maybe in a group you find a Dutch a German but also Pakistani and maybe somebody from Canada and their cultures collide at the beginning there's no way to avoid that some of them want to you know be held by the hand, and they want to be told everything. They want to know exactly how many words, how many drawings, how many things, and they want to be followed up step by step. Some others just don't want that. And even in their relationship, some are more openly, I would say, participative in some ways into what they do. Some others tend to just lean back and be happy with, you know, doing the, the stuff which sits in the back of a project. And some other times it's like clash because they maybe have different views and and even the fact that they are coming from countries that might have issues between them and of course I mean this is a very good school for understanding each other but at the same time it's difficult to go past maybe the things that you heard all the time growing up in your country and just seeing the different realities of things so it's complicated but very very stimulating definitely and absolutely fantastic when you come to results and you see what they're able to produce the diversity of ideas and the stroke of genius of a person who just uses something that is normal for them but totally new for everyone else so that that's something amazing.
0: Yeah, I think it deepens the experience when you're able to broaden the way you perceive things and Absolutely. to learn from each other's cultures. Not necessarily that one is better or one is right, but they're other ways of solving the problem.
1: Yeah, it's never one is better and, and the other is worse. It's always like we have different things and we have different ways of approaching whatever or even to relate to each other. We just need to have to come to terms that I'm not right and you're not wrong. It's like we need to find a common ground where we can actually stand together and of course I'm going to compromise something and you're going to compromise something else. So that's the way it works. It's extremely, extremely rewarding when it happens.
0: That's great. So I know you wrote the book Pervasive Information Architecture, explain to the audience what you mean about pervasive.
1: Well the book is simply one step forward from the things that we used to do in say around 2005 and six. Most of the books on information architecture that you find out are sort of considering yeah, mobile maybe, but they live inside what I would call a web-centric or internet-centric point of view. The book was just a book aimed at information architects, but generally speaking, at designers of products, artifacts, and services. That's not true anymore. So you can't work on a website thinking that your website is going to stand as an isolated object that people are just going to you know, use it, and that's it. What's happening is that information just went pervasive. So that's why the title. You have bits and pieces of information reaching you at all times because we carry mobile phones, but also because we have different ways to distribute information around the city, for example, around, generally speaking, the environment. And that happens regardless so of we like it or we don't like it isn't the problem. It's just there. So the book was a statement about the fact that the website is okay. Of course, we do websites, and that's part of the job that we do. And maybe for some of us, that's 99% of the thing, or maybe even 100%. But that doesn't mean you don't have to consider the fact that the users of your websites will probably also get to their company, product, service, whatever you do, through other means. And that means that you have to build a larger strategy, a larger information architecture that encompasses the website, but includes these other things. Which means also that you could possibly not do, not work, not design these things you might not be in charge of the mobile app or you might not be in charge of the stores for example uh, for example sorry but um but you have to take care of the the fact that somebody will which is something that is not at the center of the attention for what i call classical information architecture that was not there because that wasn't there at the time largely so the book is a statement it's it's an idea that information has gone everywhere bled out of the screens and went into appliances walls real-time displays uh, watches mobile phones tablets and we need to design for this and this is a totally totally different world because we used to sit at the chair and do computing in front of a screen for one hour two hours three hours then we switched off and, and we went to have a drink or enjoy a walk or whatever we wanted to do it's not like that anymore and you are always connected in some ways and you always receive, produce and consume information. And the old way of doing things is still useful, but it's not enough. So that's the point that the book wants to make.
0: And in, in today's talk at the IA summit you were talking about the complexity of information.
1: Yeah. Well It's a consequence in some way, once you move out of the idea that the only thing you're caring for is one simple isolated artifact, you start to understand first of all that that item was not as simple as it looked in the first place, it's it's not so simple, and at the same time that being part of a larger system, the complexity of the things that you have to manage increases by orders of magnitude, so so you have to have a completely different uh, attention to the problems you you deal. I was very pleased that many of the people who came and, and and spoke to me after the talk were actually either architects or had a background in architecture or love architecture and have an interest in it, and they were all pointing out the fact that this is exactly what we have been doing as architects. We always considered it. A building, or a city, or an intervention is a system, so I don't know everything, and I will need a lot of different professionals in order to be able to actually deliver the final product, but I need to keep an eye out for the system itself, and I need to know that I'm gonna have trees and glass, and and I need painters, and I need carpentry, and I need all these sort of things. And the fact is, this is true, but it's true only for people who come from that background which is probably part of the change, in a way, part of what is coming up. The fact that we're sort of moving out a little bit because, as I said, we keep a continuity, we think, in terms of a longer history that goes back and reaches to Lou and Peter, Paul and Bear, but also back to Richard so women, and, and many other people. There's a continuity, but there's also a little bit of change. I was speaking about a, a new spirit, in some ways, and the new spirit is, is the fact that we understand that the complexity of these environments requires more skills and probably also different skills in some ways. We need to be able to understand these sprawling information architectures as things that we want to make into places where people can live because I was one of the things I mentioned during the presentation was that the hours that we're spending online are increasing exponentially and they're already now topping the working hours per week, in the EU at least, and and that's a global change because that's not time that you spend sitting at a computer, it's just time that you spend connected to Facebook, Twitter, PATH, whatever you're using uh, in order to make your work and, and to mail and websites, and this is a change, this is a big change that we need to design for, otherwise we just, will, we will be designed by this thing, and this shouldn't happen.
0: yeah. So share with the audience an example of a time that you were able to work with a client and, and they understood what you were explaining to them. You were able to come out with a great product.
1: Um, if, if you intend in terms of pervasive uh, information architecture, so to stay into the, the, the idea that we design for these new things, the two largest things i have been involved recently are the redesign, even even though it's not really a redesign, but working on public transportation system in Gothenburg, which is the second largest city in, in Sweden... It was not just me, of course, it was a large group of people working on many different things, and my contribution to the general view was exactly to bring in a perspective that we were not designing a mobile app for travelers. we were not designing bus stops in order to make the information more accessible to people who are on the street, but that we needed to take care of the larger thing. The global goal was we need to make people travel travel safely and comfortably across the city, even if they don't know Gothenburg. And so that was a system, and I must say that most of my time was spent in trying to get this through the stakeholders in order to make everything happen. I'm pretty sure we succeeded up to a point, and I sort of um, verified, personally, I touched with my hand, where are the gaps in sort of thinking, are simply because we have built a world around us which is siloed. So everyone owns a part of the building, and sometimes these parts that own the building or the parts of the building compete or are simply not in good terms with each other. So you need to overcome that. There was a lot, a lot of meetings and a lot of trying to come over the idea that if I'm designing the bus stops as part of um, this uh, information system which is pervasive, I need to come to terms with that the bus stop as an artifact, so the signpost and everything belongs to a certain entity, but the pavement belongs to somebody else. And maybe they don't agree that they should talk to each other, so you need to solve that first, even before you start considering the, the problems. The second one has been a very interesting project dealing with the Johannesburg National Art Gallery in uh, South Africa. And again, I was a part of a larger team that involved Jason Hobbs and Terence Fenn from the University of Johannesburg and many others. And it was an interesting problem again because it spanned physical and digital. So we were trying to find ways to improve the way the National Art Gallery in Johannesburg, which is a beautiful institution in a beautiful building in downtown Johannesburg, which is an area with a lot of issues. To be more visible to be more accessible, and to be more there, not only for the international audience that knows about paintings from Rembrandt or, or other famous painters but to the locals so make it part of a thing and my approach was a cross channel approach and trying to see if I could devise any ways that through the use of information and different channels like print like signage around the, the, the gallery itself, like changing the physical barriers of things and introducing new ways to use the spaces, uh, we could do something. So the process is still ongoing. We have delivered part of the, mm-hmm. of the initial materials and we hope that we will be able to produce something interesting in the end. I would say that the major takeaway from all these things is that there's definitely a need for this sort of things. How to solve problems, generally speaking, it's more a case-by-case thing so far, and we're still being, building up a general theory or a general strategy for working in the different environments.
0: And I think to figure out what the real problem is, you have to ask some really good questions.
1: Yeah, well, one of the things that has to do with complexity, since you mentioned that before, when you, when you introduce complexity, you introduce the idea that there are systems and things that work together. and one of the things about systems is that you really don't know what a system is or what is part of a certain system. Like, for example, when some uh, unnamed sneakers and sportswear firm decided to find out who their competitors were, they commissioned an agency to kind of go and ask people and see what they were. I mean, is that brand? Is the the other brand? And they found out that the major competitor was a game console. And that was totally, totally unpredicted at the time. They found out that people decided, should I spend money on shoes, or should I spend money on games? And that's a system. Even if they didn't know, their major competitor was in a totally different market segment or sector. And the question is, to define a system, like, you know, I got a kiosk, I have a web application, I have a mobile thing, then there's maybe signage and things. It's the way you ask the questions that frames what's going to be inside. So that's the thing. Unless you ask certain questions, you won't find certain artifacts inside your system. And there's no right or wrong way. It just really depends on the context and what you're trying to achieve. So it's, it's complex in a way.
0: Right. And so when you're in that scenario and you're asking the questions, who is present at the table?
1: Well, I, I work in Sweden mostly so and and for me it was interesting to see that when it comes to Sweden, everyone is at the table. Sweden is a co designed country by, you know, cultural attitude, so the meetings involve everyone and there's a tons of meeting always coming up. In in South Africa at the Johannesburg Art Gallery project there was a choice to sort of narrow down what we wanted to do and find Actors. So part of the design process was trying to figure out who the actors in the process were. And the cross-channel approach allowed us to introduce more actors than you normally have, because of course you need to consider different expertise and different professionals as well. Um, we spoke to staff from the gallery. We spoke to the executive from the gallery. We spoke to the people who are sort of you know the, the general financing group or sponsor group of the gallery. Uh, we spoke to the, the city of Johannesburg who's a stakeholder in the thing. We managed to interview students and people who visit the gallery so and art dealers. Uh, there was a long, long process in trying to figure this thing out. And the interesting part is that we surely left somebody out. Because this is our view of over a complex problem, so we are not saying that this is right. We are just offering a solution that we hope is going to be at least partially successful in trying to address the problem that we saw at the beginning there. And the interesting part is that you could have solved it in many other different ways, probably. But this is the, the beauty of having a complex approach over things and, and being being sure that you are just providing one solution out of many. This is also where the role of IEA is very, very important in kind of framing the idea that you might have many different orders or ways of doing things, and they're not necessarily incorrect. There's a good example that I make on my blog. There's a sh- short uh, blog post from a couple of years ago where I speak about constellations. And constellations were an example because somebody on Twitter, which is always a good excuse to kind of go on a limb and, and write a blog post, uh, mentioned the fact that Richard Saw Woman had these very beautiful definitions of IA back then when he was working on trying to figure out the problem space. And one of them was sort of—I uh, love them all—but one of them has something about figuring out the patterns which are inherent in the data, and that inherent part always bugged me because I don't believe there's such a thing as something which is inside there that you just, you know, carve out. But it's always the look that you have. And constellations were a very good example, because constellations have helped us navigate to explore, and, and discover, and, and generally speaking, going around. Uh, of course we have also horoscopes, and, and you have people believing that the stars drive their things, and you are a lion, or a peaches, or whatever, but they don't exist. They're not real. They're not there. We know that if we just move away from the Earth, we are not seeing the same constellations, and by the way, somebody at a certain point decided that few stars were to be grouped into a pattern. So they're not real, but they're incredibly, they've been incredibly successful at helping us doing stuff. That's exactly the way I see it, the way that you solve the sort of issues. You're not trying to see this is the reality of things, but just this is a way that we can solve or produce a solution to something or introduce new ideas and, and just move on and do something good with them. And I think that very much still stands. This is exactly the, the, the crux of the problem.
0: Yeah, and I think you stated it really well in your talk today. You mentioned reshaping reality.
1: Yeah, this is what we do all the time. And IA is very good at that because it works with information and language. And the idea that we are basically what we perceive and read and see and say. Words have a powerful impact on what how we frame the world. And it's difficult sometimes to speak about these things. I was commenting with a person who was asking after the talk because it really feels like you're trying to make... The matrix visible while staying inside and you need to take the pill otherwise you're not able to actually see that you're what you're seeing out is the matrix and it's a problem but i think that we're slowly getting to the to the point where we can actually start to see the patterns that are there as useful ways to solve things and not as the solution with the all caps s
0: I just I think it's fascinating there's been so many great talks today and I think that being able to really reshape the reality to really do a better job of defining the problem of understanding the behavior the psychology of the user Figuring out a solution, and then also adding the beauty to it. It sounds like such a great process if we could put all of those things together.
1: Oh, we are working on that, and and, and I mean, this is a sort of, a, it's a long, slow, steady process we're going through, and I think it has to do with the maturation of the film in some ways. and. Simply with the idea that we moved out of this, as I said at the beginning, this web-centric lens that we had, which was necessary. There was nothing that we could do. Uh, Christina Woodkey was in a conversation with me and others a few days ago on Twitter and we were mentioning this uh, idea and she was just saying, well, back then, who could have thought you could design a website which does have no content? And that's Facebook. That's Twitter. There are empty containers where people are producing the content. At the time, it wasn't possible. It was like everything was crafted so that you knew what was going inside the thing. So this is like a zoomed-out view that we have on the problem now, and we can see that much better. So our tools are have been sharpened in order to be able to solve better problems. And we're also getting out of that. I, I love to always fight over this thing with Peter Morville and others who are, you know from the old school, they were the forefathers and and the people who actually gave us the tools and, and, and the vision of this thing, that what they did at the time was perfect and exact what we needed. But it was like saying that the world is a library and we need libraries, but I wouldn't sleep in a library. I also need a bedroom and I need a place where I can go and have a drink. And that's, for example, what Facebook is. Facebook is the perfect shoddy pub close to home where all your friends are going so you don't particularly like the beer you don't particularly like even the the, probably the owner and sometimes they slip you you know um, a beer which is not so good or something but everybody's there so it's good to be there and hang out a little so that's the kind of thing that we have to do we need the library but we also need everything else and this is happening because information is everywhere so we are constantly being immersed in information which is shaping the reality that we live around. Just think about the process of getting to Baltimore. For me, I basically knew more about the surrounding of the hotel coming over here that I could possibly know 10 years or 15 years ago. Google Maps and places, and somebody put up a map with all the night spots and things, and, and that that's changes the, the perception I have of the place I'm going to even before I, I'm there. And when I'm there... The Baltimore I see is, is a different thing because I'm not totally lost in a, in a different reality. I know where I'm moving.
0: How do you think we can help people move forward through this new spirit? Uh, how do we navigate?
1: With the knowledge that it's going to be difficult, not easy at the beginning, but with the idea that, that this is necessary. and. I think that it's, as I said, it's very much like being served the pills and once you decide which pill to take and if it's the right one, you see it and it's there. The idea that there's a huge difference between being seated at a computer and being immersed in information and computing all the time while the city around you computes because that's happening. Everything goes and and everything moves around and everything is being remediated and and co-produced. So I think that during the, the, the second talk we did with Eric Reese in the Flexrack, we mentioned a few things. And, I mean, there are many, many different principles that we try to iron out when we go into lecturing and doing our job. But I think that two things are necessary. We need to be bold and we need to be outrageous. Those are necessary things that we have to do. We don't have to be afraid of making mistakes, of doing the wrong things or, you know, failing, but failing spectacularly because that's going to happen and it's going to open up new ways probably. So it always happens when there's transitions and I think that that there's new interest in this sort of vision or angle.
0: How would you articulate the new angle?
1: The new angle is, is, first of all, it's trying to frame information architecture as a design practice or a making practice so we're not sure if we want to use the word design or something else but I mean because it's pretty much a loaded term especially in America but generally speaking a design activity not simply some formal librarianship that you take to the web in some ways and I would say that we consider that to be the the foundation of a different way of looking at ethics, poetics and critique which we are definitely lacking now there's no such thing, and we need that. We need to be able to speak about information architecture as you do for paintings and the fine arts, sculpture, whatever.
0: That's fantastic. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. And so where can people find out more about you? Tell them about your website and your
1: book. Uh, well, my website is going to be difficult to pronounce in English since it's mynameandlastname.com. I mean, yeah, I'll throw so a link on it, there. It might, be, it might be difficult, but I'm on Twitter with my last name, so Resmini. So you can find me over there, R-E-S-M-I-N-I. And, uh, and that's a good place to start. And I would love to get to hear if people have anything to say
0: about it. Wonderful. Thanks again. Thank you. This episode is sponsored by WeWork. Meaningful connections are essential to the success of every entrepreneur, freelancer, and small business owner. At WeWork, meeting new people and having interesting conversations is natural and effortless. From the design of the WeWork space to the events at their buildings, WeWork does everything they can do to support the idea that if one of us is successful, we all benefit. Every WeWork location is staffed with community managers who work directly with members to understand their business needs, the struggles, and their growth plans. And then they connect them to other members who can help. Events are an integral part of the WeWork experience, from product launches to elevator pitches. So whether you're asking for advice, looking for product feedback, or just meeting like-minded entrepreneurs, WeWork is a seamless extension to the community. For more information, go to WeWork.com. That's W E W O R K.com. Today's show was produced by Anna Hafley with original music from Cameron Michel and Paul Pulford. Andrea is now working at the University of Borås, Sweden researching and teaching IA and UX-related courses while still hoisting the IA flag at FatDucks, a leading UX firm based in Copenhagen. He served as the president of the Information Architecture Institute and chaired the Italian IA Summit. He is a founding member of the European Center for User Experience. And finally, he is one of the founders and an associate editor for the Journal of Information Architecture. If you haven't already purchased a copy of his book, I highly recommend Pervasive Information Architecture, co-authored with Luca Rosati. Thank you for listening to UX Radio. Please tweet this to your friends and pass on the intellectual inspiration from Andrea. If you want more UX Radio, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes or go to ux-radio.com where you'll find podcast resources and more.